The Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. We'll be reading verses 1 through 19. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain man, a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these, out of their abundance, have put in offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. Then, as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And he said, Take heed that you do not be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is drawn near. Therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilence, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate before your, beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head shall be lost, but your patience possess your soul. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning to lift our voices in praise and worship. We look to your word to learn about our worship and our giving to you. We hear your predictions for this world and the things in this world. You make clear to us the signs of the times, especially the times of the end. You do this not so we will be consumed with your second coming, but so you, so we will be pre preparing ourselves to be ready to be your witnesses. Open your word to us this morning. Guide us into its steps, showing us the extent of your grace and mercy. We thank you for all of this. In Christ's name, amen. This sermon is about the protection of God upon believers. This seems to be a strange topic when you think back on the persecution of the Roman Empire that inflicted on the church in the in his early years of its existence. I'm not sure anyone can place an accurate number on those killed for their belief at that time. Where was God? Where was God when all those faithful souls were being brutally slaughtered? Should we ask 
Is the promise of protection just an empty pipe dream? In Luke, we hear what appears to be a very strong contradiction. In verse 16, what does Christ say about some of his believers? You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will be put they will put some of you to death. Now he says some of his followers will be put to death. In verses 17 and 18, what does God say about others? And you will be hated by all for by name's sake, but not a hair of you in your head shall be lost. Now, no matter How this might sound to you, this is not a contradiction when taken in the overall context of Scripture. Luke wrote it and saw no need to give an explanation. The solution is simple. For those who are familiar with the teachings of Jesus Christ, Matthew 10, verses 29 through 30, are not to spare a soul for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. What you must understand from this is that not not even the hairs of your head are outside the domain of God's sovereign tender care. He knows each one of your hairs. He knows what's going to happen with each one. What is his declared purpose concerning all believers? It is always his glory and their salvation. He's going to bring glory through you in this world, and he's going to bring you to salvation if you place your hope and trust in Christ and in Christ alone. It's always his glory. It's always your salvation. That's the point. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We are called by a sovereign God the God who created all things, the God who holds all things together by his grace. So some are called to be martyrs, some to live good and declarative lives in the midst of a sinful world. Some will be slaughtered in response to their testimony. We're not told which will be our privilege, but it will be one or the other. We are not to sit around We're not to be concerned of which it will be. The thing you and I are to be most concerned about is our perseverance in the faith. You must never lose control, but you must remain faithful no matter how fierce the persecution may get. Your endurance by God's strength-giving grace is the very instrument the Lord uses to give you the ultimate victory. What is this ultimate victory? It is eternal life and the believer's guarantee he will never be lost. In the light of our ultimate protection, we shall see what Proverbs tells us about the believer's protection. First, the promise is that God will protect the believer. Second, God's protection protects the believer's descendants. And third, God protects the believer's home. Now, I trust you understand, as we begin this sermon, that your divine protection is centered in your spiritual protection. 
You are told throughout the New Testament, those who love and follow Christ are sure to suffer as he suffered. That's physical suffering. The reason for that is found in the hate of the world toward Christ and toward those who follow him. Christianity never promises a life without trials. However, you are promised an eternal life free of trials because of the faith you live this life with. The first area of God's protection of the believer is from trouble and adversity. Proverbs 11.8 The righteous is delivered from trouble and it comes to the wicked instead. What providence marks divine faithfulness. A man plots evil against the righteous and winds up in a worse condition than he planned for the righteous to begin with. In other words, if he digs that pit and he falls into it himself. Scripture is full of examples of this. The Israelites were delivered through the Red Sea, by the, but the Egyptians were destroyed by that same sea. Mordecai, who was a falsely accused by Haman, was delivered from the gallows, but Haman and his sons were hanged on that same gallows because of their evil ways. In Babylon, three Hebrew servants were thrown into a fiery furnace for refusing to worship the king. They were saved, but those who threw them in, they were all killed. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. God closed the mouths of the lions and Daniel was delivered. His accusers were after he was delivered from that pit were thrown into the pit themselves. And those lions devoured them. Herod arrested Peter, put him in jail. The angels came and delivered Peter and his jailers were executed. For the deliverance of one of his saints, God will use pagan nations and bring distress on a whole nation. He did just that when King Saul was closing in on David, leaving him no path of escape. He had him trapped in the wilderness. David didn't know what to do. Well, God caused the Philistines to attack Israel, which caused Saul to have to withdraw from David to defend the nation. How can we explain these things except we say it's because of God's sovereign love and mercy? God says it best through his prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 43, 4. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. You may never be in such a situation as to experience such a visible deliverance. But be assured of this, the love is unchangeably the same. Such love should cause you to bend low to the ground before your God and should build your confidence in him. It should show you the solid and unshakable foundation his protection gives you. We see the same thing in Proverbs 12, 13. The wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips. But the righteous will come through trouble. The wicked talk about themselves and talk themselves into trouble, while the righteous avoid trouble. When Moses sent 12 spies into the promised land, they all returned with reports. 
Ten of those reports were negative. Let's don't go. The other two from Caleb and Joshua were positive. Let's get in there. They made a noble confession because of their trust in God. The rest were condemned by their evil talk. Even when the righteous are overtaken by a transgression of the lips. You know, righteous make mistakes and tell lies sometimes too. It's their faith in God that still makes the difference. Amos tells us that God will not wink at the sins of his children. But even though his covenant provides punishment for the sins of the righteous, it also ensures their deliverance in the end. God protects his children from troubles and adversity. So you can see that presumptuous confidence is restrained and a humbling, self-abasing, tender confidence is established. That's what we all need, is that wonderful confidence that gives us hope even in troubles. Even when we're under that persecution, we have that hope of Jesus Christ. All right, we next see that God promises the believer protection from dangers and injuries. Proverbs 18.10 The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. You know, that even in the animal world, consciousness of danger causes animals to seek refuge. We've got a little cat. You crank up the lawnmower outside and she's under the bed quicker than you can blink an eye. She's seeking that refuge. To man, in the physical realm, in David's day especially, a strong tower was what they used as refuge. Every town had one. But man is a sinner. His real enemy is a spiritual one. Therefore, his real refuge must be spiritual in nature. The question is, does the one lost in sin even know his need? No, he does not. He has to first hear the word of God and believe on Jesus Christ. Then he sees his untenable position and starts to seek his spiritual refuge. His only refuge is the name of the Lord. Please, be aware. Too many believe that these outward words themselves are some kind of lucky charm. I said the right thing. God has to respond. They use God's name all the time as a lucky talisman. They think just adding his name to their request makes it an absolute cure for their failure. Now, we all look at using God's name in a derogatory way uh, as being wrong. Well, when you use God in this way, it's derogatory, so therefore it's wrong. We are placing our hope and trust in Christ. We're not just trying to use that hope and trust to minister to us and to give us what we want. Too many people fall into that category. The tower of the Lord for us is not just his name, but it is also his character. It is God's character by which he is known. This is his strong tower. It is what we find refuge in and protection from danger and injury. 
This is made clear for us in Proverbs 21:31. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. The horse was in the days of Solomon a great defensive weapon. This is before they learned to use the charge and all that kind of stuff with the horse. So they just used him to hold the line. The horse, the man who placed his trust in the horse, was trusting in absolutely nothing. The man who placed his trust in anything other than Christ, other than God, has no hope. It is not the horse that shall protect, but the Lord. David, when he went out to battle Goliath, he refused the armor of Saul and instead placed his trust in the Lord. God protected him better than any armor ever could have. You are not engaged in open warfare between men. You are in spiritual warfare with principalities and powers of the air. This is such a dangerous and it's an important warfare. So you must have an active exercise of dependence on your Lord. You can't win these battles by yourself. You better be trusting in Christ and in Christ alone, for that's where your victory comes from. Salvation is only of the Lord. It is free, complete, triumphant, and everlasting over all the powers of hell. And it comes only, only, when you have placed your trust totally in Jesus Christ. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Here, you're told the word of God is pure. It's without fault. Therefore, you must hear and believe it. What have we seen many times about salvation? It is to trust in Christ and in Christ alone. Here, it is said a different way. It's said to be behind the shield. What is this shield? It's the word of God. It's the truth. It comes from God and God alone. God's word will be the shield of everyone committed to trusting in Jesus Christ. How do you know about Christ? You know about him through the word. How do you know about yourself? You know it through the word. The word is the shield that protects you. It's the shield that God has given to protect you and watch over you. This is the way of the wise man, the man who has heard and believed. Proverbs 2, verses 7 and 8. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Can you not see how this contrasts with the world? Vanity and foolishness are the stamp of the wisdom of the world. But here, here in these verses, is sound wisdom. It looks at things not in their self-appeal, but in their proper substance. It is sound because it's practical. This is wisdom from which victories come. Walking in the wisdom of God brings victory to the believer. In fact, you're told that the victories are stored up in this wisdom for all true believers. What is this wisdom? It is Jesus Christ and all he's done to save your soul. 
you can see all who walk in the wisdom of God are protected against the snares of the devil. Please understand, this does not mean bad things will never happen to the Christian in this lifetime. What it means is all who place their faith and hope in Jesus Christ will be saved and can never be deprived of their perseverance. If you're in the tower of God's name and character, you will see the final reward. The reward is eternal life. This earthly life of the Christian is indeed fraught with danger and is full of temptations. Yet, as you continue to take refuge in the Lord, you're living in eternal safety from spiritual danger and injury. God guarantees your perseverance. Therefore, you can never suffer a mortal wound to your spiritual life. We turn to the last area we find God's protection. He gives protection to his children from fear and distress. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Now I want you to know, the most difficult thing an officer in the church is when he receives criticism. Many think they know how the church should run. Too many believe you can, can't do the job without their direction. It becomes increasingly hard not to give in and try to please them. Throughout history, the church has faced these problems. What to do about pleasing men? In the early centuries, when, they, when many new members were coming in out of pagan religions, the Romans would go and conquer area and they'd bring them. Well, the church immediately called them Christians made, tried to make them into Christians, sometimes forcing them into baptism. What happened was they became afraid. The church became afraid. We've made these people come in now, and we've taken their fe feast away from them. They don't have their, their feasts so every year, so all, every year, maybe one or two a year. The church decided, okay, what we're going to do is take those feasts, and we're going to Christianize them. That's where we got Christmas and Easter from. The New Testament does not establish a church calendar. It was because of the fear of men these days were set aside. Over the years, they have been added to again and again. The Sabbath was set aside by God to be a day in which we laid our worldly cares down so we might worship him and him alone. The fear of man is one of the most powerful tools Satan has in his arsenal. If he can make you feel all alone, he's won a great victory. Unfortunately, I think we see that going on today. How many times have you been right, but for the sake of unity, you've compromised what you know to be the truth? We've all done that at some time or other. That's how Satan has destroyed many of the great denominations. He begins by first attacking those who have set their hearts to, a to not to compromise. Then he works hard to make them look like fools. Why? Because they defy the wisdom of the many. The leaders of churches are in a constant fight 
within their own hearts not to give in to what they know is wrong. They have to stand their ground against this kind of fear. When they do take a stand and hold to it no matter what, they're rewarded. Proverbs 3, verses 24 and 26 through 26. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Here is the reward for your faithfulness. A good night's sleep and rest that is sweet. A clear conscience is really a great thing to have. It lets you rest and enjoy life. You are not constantly afraid of someone coming along who knows your sin. When you compromise the truth, your confession can no longer truly be, your conscience can no longer be truly clear. Oh, you can try and convince yourself it's not your fault. But remember, what God said about our responsibility in Romans 14, 12. So then each of us should give account of himself to God. You and you alone are responsible for all of your actions. You don't have to be afraid of what men will do to you if you don't compromise. Jesus told us in Matthew 10, 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So what men might do to you is irrelevant when compared to God's power over you. Well, what do you do when confronted with the powers of Satan attempting to turn you away from the truth? When they are trying to destroy you because you won't compromise? You stand fast on the truth and refuse to compromise God's word in any way. Proverbs 20, 22. Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will save you. The Lord says, vengeance is mine, and it is an awful proclamation. It is with great reverence that his children look upon this decree. Who but a holy God can repay evil perfectly? He is all-knowing, and you are so imperfect. God is without blind passion, and you are always blinded by your selfish lust. God's justice is perfect, and you are prejudiced on your own side. What is presumption for you? A mere created being to say you can better avenge than God. How dare you? to think you can do anything better than God. Revenge is one of the most cherished lusts of the mortal flesh. It is with this degree of vengeance in mind that God has provided his protection to his children. His instrument, and he instructs you in humility and faith to lay all wrongs by whomever before him. Someone does you wrong, what are you supposed to do with it? You're supposed to forgive them in your heart and you're supposed to wait on God to straighten the mess out. He will bring vengeance to those who refuse to forgive and repent. He instructs you in humility. And we need that humility. 
We need that humility to lower ourselves. And he tells us we should see others as better than ourselves always. For my friends, if you truly believe that God would in his own time, the right time, take up your cause, would you not be satisfied to leave it in his hands? I know people that aren't. Let me call all who have heard his gospel and believed on him who was sent to leave the matters of wrong done to you in his hands. To him who is best suited to handle them, your almighty God. Let's make this personal. Think about your own reactions and actions with people, with other people. Somebody wrongs you. What do you do? Here's where we need to really be honest with ourselves. This is very important. You know what repentance is. Repentance is turning away from your sin. But you know, we'll give things to the Lord and then we'll still go out and gossip about them. We'll still go out and, and, and down the people that did this to us. You haven't given it to God if you're doing that. True repentance is turning away from your sin. If you give something to God, it is something that has happened to you. You give it to God, you turn it over to him, and then you leave it alone. You quit worrying about it. God will take care of it. He does that in his own time. And he does that in the right way, which we can never do. Know for a certainty. He shall deliver and save you because you have put your trust in him. So what does it say about you when you don't trust him? So remember these words from Luke's 18, 7 and 8. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, through he, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? protection God gives to the believer is a new heart filled with the precious gifts of faith and repentance. But I want to warn you, those gifts will not work unless you work. Your protective wall is built higher and higher as you study God's word. That's what he's called you to do. Study also increases the strength of your faith by ever exercising it. The more you confront the evil of this world, the more confidence you have that indeed men cannot harm you even if they kill your body. God protects those who build their faith by God's word from the fear and distress of this world. The second promise of God to the believer concerning his protection deals with his descendants. This is indeed a precious promise. This is one of the foundational teachings of covenant theology as opposed to dispensationalism. Covenant theology teaches infant baptism as a sign and seal of the covenant promises of the believer's children. Please understand, this does not in any way save the child. It is to cover the children of the believing parent with the same promises given the parent as long as that child is under the parent's authority. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children 
will have a place of refuge. Again, this is not a guarantee of salvation to your children. It's a promise. A promise that God will watch over them because of your righteousness. You then have time to fulfill your responsibilities and teach them the truths of God's word and lead them to an understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now what about the wicked? Look at Proverbs 11.21. Though they join forces, the wicked will not go unpunished, but the posterity posterity of the righteous will be delivered. This tells you the wicked can make all the alliances they want. They can work together as hard as they can, but they will not avoid punishment of their sins. They can call their sin sickness. They can blame it on others. But in the end, such will not be accepted before God's court. In our world today, that's the big thing. To blame your sins on everybody else and accept no responsibility for your own actions. The scriptures make it clear that will not work with God. The seed of the righteous, on the other hand, will be delivered from such deception. The children of the righteous will be delivered because they will be taught that they are responsible for their own actions. They have to pay the penalty for their own sin in this world. And we need, we need to learn that. That's one of the things we see in the world today. That nobody wants to claim credit for anything. Nobody wants to admit their responsibility in anything. What an encouragement to your parental faith as you have to let your children go into a dangerous and evil world. You're going to send them out of the house at one day. You want to have them prepared. If you have studied God's word, if you have prepared, if you have listened to what we're saying here, then you will be preparing your children for the world to come. What joy it gives to know that this wonderful covenant of God's grace was given to you and to your children. The last promise we shall look at concerning the protection of the believer is the protection of his home. Proverbs 12, 7. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. It's very easy to understand how one can wonder at the long-suffering that allows the wicked to continue in their evil ways and fill this earth with such a mass of guilt and misery. Yet, we must remember their victory lasts only a short time. Remember in the book of Esther, in the struggle of Mordecai and Esther had to save the Jews in that day. Mordecai's enemy was Haman, a very powerful advisor to the king. He was a man filled with deceitful counsel and bloody works, words because of what he what, that he was overthrown and not established. Because of that, he was overthrown and not established. The scriptures tell us very clearly that God shall avenge his own elect. The house of the elect will stand no matter how feeble it may seem to be. The believer will have a place in the Lord's house immovable here and in eternity. Yes, those whose thoughts, words, and deeds are upright, they shall stand firm while others are just sinking sand. 
The wicked are warned and the believer encouraged. Proverbs 24, verses 15 through 16. Do not lie in wait, a wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Do not plunder his resting place. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. The wicked are clearly warned by trying to deceive the righteous and are told, even if they see succeed for a time, it will not last. Even should the believer fall, he will be given the strength to rise again and again. The promise of the covenant is clear. It says once God has called you out of the darkness into the light, he will see to it that you have the perseverance to continue. You will continue until he has confirmed you as his by taking you into heaven with him. My friends, there's no security like the security of God. His promise is guaranteed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That ministry includes the works of the Holy Spirit. His promise is he will give to all who will hear and believe salvation. A salvation that comes with a perseverance that cannot be overwhelmed. His is the only protection you can count on. Your own plans and schemes will not protect you, but instead will bring destruction. To live in this divine protection means to acknowledge yourself for the sinner you are and to call out to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Won't you hear his call today? The Bible shows that there is only one clear call of salvation and that through Jesus Christ. Hear him today that your soul be delivered from wickedness. Let us pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, We've gathered here to worship you and to hear from your word. You have called us to learn of the protection you give to your people. Please open our hearts to take the truths you have laid before us this morning. Help us to apply that truth in our lives. Grant unto us a deep insight into the protection we have as your children. Keep us from false truths and build us up in the strength of your grace. May we learn to live in your protection and know what we need to remain steadfast in the faith you have given us. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you take your hymnals and turn with me to hymn 699.